Start a local meetup. If you have not started a local meetup and you're wanting to go farther faster, then start a local meetup. I Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. I am with co-host on Follow Along Friday, Theo Hicks. How you doing? I'm doing good. And my favorite color is still blue. It's still blue. All right, cool. The loyal best ever listeners who listened last week will get that inside joke. <laughs> We're going to talk about, as we do on Follow Along Friday, what we got going on in our entrepreneurial endeavors and... Not necessarily what we're doing to talk about what we're doing, but rather how it can be applied to you, because that's why the show exists, how we can add value and, and help you out. How do we want to structure our call today? So you've got some stuff you want to talk about in your business, mm -hmm. and then we've got two questions from Best Ever Listeners, mm -hmm. and then we also have, you interviewed someone on the podcast last week, and he provided seven principles of the super rich. So I want to go over a couple of those and ask you some questions about that. And I think that'll be very, very valuable to the best ever listeners because the blog post based off of that was doing very well. All right, good. So let's see. First, what I got going on. Let's see. We are scheduled to close on one apartment community June 2nd or sooner, most likely sooner, probably the last week of May. That's in Fort Worth, Texas. Very, very nice area, Fort Worth, Texas. And then have a investor call this coming Monday to talk to the investors who I have a pre-existing relationship with and who are accredited. And I'll be presenting along with Frank, my business partner, that opportunity. And that is scheduled to close late June, okay. probably a little bit earlier than that, but according to the contract, late June. 
In the same location? This one's in Dallas. Okay. The, yep. And we have 750 apartments in the submarket already mm-hmm. of Dallas. It's in Richardson, Texas, for anyone familiar with the Dallas area. So we already have 750 apartments in Richardson, but we know the submarket very, very well. And this will put us almost at the thousand apartment mm-hmm. mark just in this submarket. So we're excited about that. And one thing I wanted to mention is that when I was talking to a vendor that I hired to help optimize my website, and they said, who's your target audience? And I started thinking about it. I think I've mentioned this on last Mm -hmm. week's call, where the target audience, after he had asked me this, I didn't really stop to think about it. It's 35 to 65-year-old males living in a major city or close by to a major city who are accredited, and then their profession tends to be a real estate investor who is now not wanting to be as active, they want to be passive, or it is a doctor, a lawyer, someone in programming or software engineering, or a small business owner. Mm -hmm. That's my target audience. I didn't realize that until after they asked me the question, and since then, we have put up a page investwithjoe.com. Did I mention this last week? I think so. Oh, I did? Okay. Partially. Yeah. Well, two days after we put up investwithjoe.com, I got an email from an investor and I've already been on a call with them and I've got two other emails since then. And this is like (laughs) within three, four days. Point is that those were missed opportunities if I didn't have that page up. Mm -hmm. And who knows how many missed opportunities I had prior to not having the page up. And the takeaway is that we have to think really hard about who is our ideal target audience. And if you don't know, then think about who has bought from you or invest with you or whatever your service is within real estate, who has done that before, and then look to see who your current audience is or your current client base is. And that's how I came up with mine and then make sure that you have an easy way for them to get in touch with you. Because previously I did not, and it's so obvious that now that I have that up, I've already got submissions, I'm having on conversations with, and starting to establish relationships with new accredited investors who previously didn't have a place to reach out to me other than the Contact Joe page, which is the very bottom of the website, tough to find, Mm -hmm. and it was tough to get a hold of me. So for someone that's trying to raise money, and so essentially how you got to this conclusion is because last week we talked about the 2,000 being specifically or selectively famous with 2,000 people versus being generally famous. And that kind of triggered your mind, like, all right, so who do I want my 2,000 people to be? And then how am I going to capture those 2,000 people? So you already have a website that's got a lot of traffic. And so can you think of maybe something a best ever listener could do when they select their 2,000 people in order to capture investors or deals or whatever it is that they're doing if they don't have... Well, Such they, a large website. They just need to know, not 2,000, just one person. You need to know, best of listeners, who is your ideal one person. And then build something out for them so they can easily get in touch with you. Even if you're not a accredited investor, if you want to see an example of what the page looks like, just go to investwithjoe.com mm-hmm. and you can see the page. It's a super simple form. And that's all you have to create and make it easy for them to access it and maybe come up with a cool URL like invest with Theo or partner with Tom or whatever, partner with Pat. 
Uh, <laughs> so that would be the approach. And if you have no clients or no customers at this point, if you're just starting out, then simply identify someone in your market who is farther along than you are and determine as best you can who their clients are because then you'll have an idea of who yours will mm -hmm. be. And I want to make sure I mention the disclaimer as I did last week. I mentioned my primary target audience, but of course, outside of that, there are exceptions like females, for example. <laughs> I didn't mention females. I said 35 to 65 year old males. That's because 95% of my investors are males. So clearly there's a trend there. Mm -hmm. Although I certainly do have some females that I work with as well, but I'm just saying primarily, that's my primary target audience. And it's important to know what your primary target audience is so that you can act accordingly. For example, I have a PR agency that works on our behalf and I have made it very clear now the type of guests, so they're looking to get A-list celebrities on the show. And before I said, well, you know, any A-list celebrity, but now it's very specific. Now it's any A-list celebrity that would appeal to 35 to 65 year old males, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yeah. Like Tim Ferriss, people like that. And that's a more refined approach. And the more refined we get in our marketing, the more successful and effective we'll be. Just to add on to that is, and you always talk about this all the time, is if you don't have a large website or a large following, a way to get there is to start your thought leadership platform, whether yeah. it's a YouTube channel, podcast. It's kind of like you said, start with one person and having it kind of blossom out from yeah. there. Yeah, and start a local meetup. If you have not started a local meetup and you're wanting to go farther faster, then start a local meetup. I was just on an interview. This interview won't go live until mid-July. But I was just on an interview with a gentleman named Anson Young. He's based out of Denver. Some of you might know him who are local to Denver because he has a meetup in Denver. He's had it for three years and he's made over six figures from the meetup via deals he's gotten in the meetup. So it's free to attend the meetup. Apparently they go drink beer at some brewery for like three hours once a month. And through the relationships he's made, he's gotten deals and he's made over six figures. He said it's close to about $150,000 that he's made. That's just one example. Mm -hmm. I mean, the meetup that I had this past month, it had probably the lowest amount of people for whatever reason. But the two new people, one of them said I was in a book, so I bought the book. And lo and behold, yeah, they mentioned me in the book. Pretty cool. It was good stuff. The other new person who attended he mentioned he wanted to invest in my deals. So even though the turnout was small, the effectiveness was very large. And that will happen, I guarantee it, if you start a local meetup and do it for a long period of time and are consistent with it. Because going back to that, it all sounds like a selective versus general. And so it's not about the amount of people that are coming, it's who's coming. And for yeah. you, who was coming or people that it's actually going to push your business for not people are just gonna come there and just kind of watch and listen, which is obviously perfectly fine still, but now that you're more laser focused on that, I'm sure that that was a success. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's one of the things I push all of my clients to do who I'm teaching how to raise money and buy apartments. And one of them is in Miami. He scheduled his first meetup. And then I get a message from one of my investors who lives in Miami and he says, hey, Joe, I saw this multifamily meetup. Are you gonna be in town to attend? I was like, this is so amazing yeah. because 
my client has started this meetup and now he's already getting traction from accredited investors to attend the meetup and he hasn't even hosted his first one yet. And that's the type of exposure that you'll get in the type of relationships. We just got to get out of our comfort zone and actually do it and do it consistently. I think this is a good transition talking about networking into this, the seven principles of the super rich. And so I guess I'll quickly go over what the concept is. And so you, you interviewed John Bowen on the podcast, I think it was last week, and he essentially did a study of 3,500 successful entrepreneurs and he designed successful as people that have a, a net worth of over $500 million or more. So these are like the- these, 500 million? Yes, 500 million or more. Wow, he interviewed that many people who had a net worth of over 500 million? I guess, that's what he said in the podcast. Wow. And so that's how you define the super rich. And by the way, the reason why I'm repeating this is because some interviews I interview like three months before. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, I, this right. is kind of, a, this is a refresher for me. Okay, okay. cool. That was a long time ago, <laughs> but he said that he defined the super rich as the $500 million or more and what he found is that there were seven specific principles that were common among all seven of these people. So I'll just quickly go over them. So number one was they were all committed to extreme wealth. They made the commitment to one extreme wealth. They actually wanted it and they knew how much work it actually take. They knew it wasn't gonna be easy, obviously. And then thirdly, they committed to a, a personal number. And so they weren't just like, I wanna be extremely wealthy and that's it. They're like, I wanna be extremely wealthy and what that means to me is a million dollars. So you said number one, million. number one is commitment to extreme wealth, and yeah. then you said thirdly. So what's number two? Number Sorry, th those are all in, in the commitment oh, to extreme wealth. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. I, all was, right. I was defining. So number one, commitment to extreme wealth. That's personal and quantifiable. Okay. Number two is enlightened self-interest. So I really like this one. So well, it's not selfish self-interest where I'm doing a deal with Joe, mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm gonna do whatever I can to extract and exploit as many resources out of him as possible, mm -hmm. and then just push him to the wayside when I'm done. So no, I know what I want. Hey Joe, what do you want? Do our interests align? Mm -hmm. Let's help each other make a lot of money. So that's number two, enlightened self-interest. Number three is put yourself in the line of money. And so if you're listening to this podcast, you're already doing that. Essentially what he's saying is that, uh, do you get an example on here? For the people that make $25 million or more, and this wasn't his specific study, this is something he got from somewhere else. Nine out of 10 of them got it through being an entrepreneur. So a business yeah. owner, which includes real estate. So if you're listening to this, you're already in the line of money. Yeah, because even if you're a doctor and you're making, I don't know, four or $500,000 a year or, or more if you're a surgeon or something, unless you have your own practice and unless you're hiring more people under you and maybe even own the building, mm -hmm. I don't know how you're going to get to $25 million. Yeah. It's going to take a while, especially with the loans and things. So you got to be an owner of something. You can't be an employee. He said that the main point is the equity. You have to have an equity mm -hmm. stake in something. Yeah. That's how you, how you build your growth. Number four, and these are all very self-explanatory, obviously, but pay everyone involved. So they all hire very talented people and they pay them accordingly versus kind of hiring a ton of different people and trying to like be stingy and, and pay them on the least amount of money as possible. And you kind of said in there how the common stereotype of super wealthy, I'm not sure if people actually believe this, but this is what he said, that they're like cheap. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, no, they're not cheap. They actually hunt out and find the best talent they possibly can mm -hmm. and pay them a ton of money in order so there's alignment of interests. So number four is not just pay everyone involved, but pay everyone very well who's involved. Yeah. That's the key. Make sure they're compensated according to the talent level and find the best talent. Exactly. Okay. Number five, various ones still explanatory. Your net work is your net worth. And during your guys' conversation that I'm remembering, I think it was Zig Ziglar. Who's the one that says your five closest people? Everyone. Everyone says, says that. Okay, everyone <laughs> says that. 
But he was saying how, for this example, he's not talking about your five closest best friends. Okay. He's talking about your network of 10 to 50 business associates that you can pick up the phone maybe once a month, bi-monthly, and kind of just talk shop, talk business, and see if there's anything new going on in your industry or your, your world. And is anything you guys can do together to grow your, your net worth together. And so it's not necessarily people you're talking to constantly and you're friends with and knowing a personal lover and getting dinner with. Um, at least that's what he was saying. So it's not the best friend, it's like business associates. Okay, all right. Six is failure, refine, and refocus. And so what this means is that the super rich, number one, aren't afraid to fail. And if they do fail, what he says, they want to fail quickly so that they're able to essentially refine the process that they failed at mm -hmm. and then take out whatever bits and pieces they can use that are going to continue to add value to their business, throw out everything else very, very fast so it's not wasting time, and then refocus back on those things that actually work. Mm -hmm. That falls in line with the 50-50 goals. Exactly. Right, that we talked about yeah. last Friday where 50% of the goal is reaching your quantifiable objective. And then the other 50%, even if you don't reach that objective, is what insights have you gotten from that experience that will help you in the long run. And as long as we have that second part of the goal, then it's overall a success mm -hmm. because we're able to apply, since we're in the soul for the long run, we're able to apply it for the long run and optimize our approach. And then eventually we'll get that quantifiable, measurable goal. Yeah. I think I also talked about Scott Adams, the creator of Dilbert last week, about mm -hmm. his system thinkings. And so he has a book, it's called How to Fail at Everything and Still Succeed or Still Win or something like that. Mm -hmm. Essentially what he talks about, he says how he's failed at so many different things in his life, like complete fall on your face failure, like losing a ton of money. But he was able to extract out different systems and techniques from those that eventually he was able to actually use all of those from like super really, really random jobs that he did mm -hmm. in order to you know, grow his writing business and his cartoon business. So it's a really funny book because he's a cartoonist. I'll definitely recommend reading that. It was good. Can I give a stupid example? Let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so this past Tuesday of this week, Texas Tech was going to play Ohio State mm -hmm. in baseball. I went to Texas Tech. Columbus, Ohio, where Ohio State is, is a short drive away, like an hour and a half away from me. So I saw that they were going to play the game, and I was really pumped up because Texas Tech is ranked number six in the country in baseball this mm -hmm. year, doing phenomenal. Well, I bought the best possible ticket, got ripped <laughs> off on StubHub by, by far, bought the best possible ticket. The tickets are $11 at the gate. I bought tickets for $45 each. Because this is a once-in-a-year type of thing. We're first row right behind the Texas Tech dugout. So I had the tickets. Colleen, my fiancé, and I had planned on going. We do the road trip to Columbus, Ohio. Dancing the entire way. Picking out wedding song or weddings in a month. And just enjoying the trip. And then we get there. We get in the hotel. We check in. We go to the bar, have a drink, get something to eat. Then we walk to the stadium. And as we're walking up to the stadium, we're pumped up, listen to music along the way on the walk. And as we're walking up to the stadium, there is one car in the parking lot. One car in the parking lot and no players on the field. <laughs> and it's 10 minutes before game time. I'm thinking, well, actually, I don't know what's happening. I can't even think of what's going on. Then we walk up to the gate office. There's no attendee in the gate office to take our expensive tickets. And then the next thing we do, we search on it. The game was canceled. 
the game was canceled and I was so disappointed, but immediately oh, my psychology has taught me, well, that's how it is and let's make the most of our time here. Colleen was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> you know, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, that's okay. That's okay. We're going to go have fun. We're going to go do something else. So talking about the failing fast and then you have to just refocus your efforts in little things like that. I've trained my mind where mm -hmm. you know, I was so freaking pumped up about this game and I'm not going to see it, but that's okay because that's happened in the past and now it's time. And we went to a bar called 16 Bits and played like NFL Blitz 1999 yeah. and some other things. And then we went to nice dinner and it was a great night and we really enjoyed it. And that's the type of psychology that is required for business too, because mm. what you do in little instances where there are bumps in the road with something as ridiculous as having a baseball game canceled that you drove to, to even, I've recruited Theo to my softball team. I'm not very good, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I pop out every single time. And when people, just on the softball team, when something bad happens, if they let it carry over inning after inning, then I know their psychology is weak. And I also know how they apply that psychology to business and their personal life. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you pop up, you are upset initially, and then you immediately start cheering for your teammates. And you immediately start focusing on the next thing that you can do to help contribute to the team. Yeah. So those are two ridiculous examples. But how we do small things is how we do large things, and I wanted to mention that. Those are really good examples. It was a good twist, because again, yeah, you can basically use that on a moment, use this failure, refinement, focus on like a moment-by-moment -moment basis, because for your you know, Texas Tech baseball example, you could have gone there, seen that the game wasn't being played, and you could have just you know, driven home or just been super upset and angry the entire time and bitter, and then you wouldn't have had the amazing time that you had. Yep. And you still, you know, the next day would have been home and the game would have been over regardless yeah. if you would have gone there or not. And so I think that's a really, really good example. And also that good, that tidbit at the end of how you do small things is how you do big things is totally true too. And so I'm sure all the best lover listeners can completely relate with that. Cool. So the last one, back to the seven principles, is to stay focused on extreme wealth. So kind of redundant to play out the first one, which is commit to it. So once you commit to it, you have your, your personal quantifiable number. These wealthy individuals don't just forget about it and never focus on it again, right? They've got it up on their wall. I'm pointing, for the people listening, I'm pointing at Joe's poster board with his goals on it, right? So they continue to refocus on their goals and continue to remind themselves why they're doing it instead of just writing it down one single time and then forgetting about it and then at the end of the year going over their goals again. Like you know, They look at it constantly and are constantly focusing on it and this guy said that this is kind of the most important thing and you have to keep number one, your commitment, at the top of mind so that you don't forget whenever things happen like you explained and you fail, your goal is kind of what enables you to have the mindset and the motivation to refine and refocus. Yep. So I thought all those were super interesting and they all rang true and they all seem so, so simple as long as you just kind of commit to all of them. But I want to go into detail number six, we did, but number two was interesting. At least from my which one is it? Too? Oh, sorry. Uh, the enlightened self-interest. Because another stereotype, at least from my perspective, that I had for the quote-unquote super wealthy is that they were, you know, super selfish mm -hmm. and all they cared about was money. But once you start to actually get into business, you realize that that just wouldn't work. Like if you're like that, you're not going to make it very far. God, what's the guy's name? The guy from the Aviator. Uh, who that, that uh, guy Howard about? Hughes. I think that's what his name was. I read the book by Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy. And he kind of, he talked about his story and how his situation was a little bit different because I think he came into a lot of money 
but it was explaining like on how in his deathbed, he was super angry and mad. And one of his, his butlers or, or assistants was saying like, you know, why are you so mad? Like you've got all this money, like you've got all this wealth and fame. Like, what are you so upset about? And he goes, and he says to the servant, like you wouldn't last a day in my shoes. And what he meant was that since he was so egotistical about it, even externally, his life seemed like it was okay, which again, might not even be the case for most people, but he somehow got past that. But internally, he was just a complete mess. Like he just hated himself, hated everyone else. That kind of like opened my eyes to it, but then I kind of, I met you and I saw this and I was like, huh, that stereotype is completely incorrect. And like, yeah, they're, they're selfish, but it's not like the selfish you would think about. It's like an enlightened self-interest in a sense of they're selfish as long as it helps everyone. I don't ramble here, but one other thing is he also said it in the, this was what it said in the Scott Adams book I was talking about. And he was talking about how you can be selfish or you can be essentially dependent on someone else. A, a third option, but the one that rung true is like, if you're not selfish and like taking care of yourself first, and someone else may have to take care of you, yep. which is like not a good thing to have and you're not benefiting anyone. Whereas if you're selfish in a certain sense, like this enlightened self-interest, then not only are you helping yourself, but you're helping so many more people around you. You're giving people jobs and you're giving people you know, good times. And I want to just say that and then see what your thoughts were on that enlightened self-interest. You have to take care of yourself first. Oprah talks about that a lot, how you have to take care of yourself first. I actually mentioned that to one of my team members recently. I said, you have to go on more vacations. <laughs> you, you do. You, you really have to take care of yourself more and do more nice things for yourself because you're constantly doing things for others. And eventually, if you do too many things for others, you're going to get burned out. You're going to get resentful. Mm -hmm. And you're going to go the opposite direction, at least for a brief moment. And I don't want to be around you when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so it's important to take care of ourselves along the way. Meditation is one thing. I don't do meditation regularly. I do it when I'm in a tough spot, <laughs> but I don't do it regularly. I think I should, but I don't. A really good book is 10% Happier by mm -hmm. Dan Harris. Very, very good book. You gave me that book, right? Yeah. yeah, very, very good book. I read that in like a week. So we do have to take care of ourselves. Then we can take care of others. Just like the oxygen mask thing, right? On exactly. The, on the airplane, you put the oxygen mask over your own face and then you put it on your kids. And I think the biggest takeaway for me was that you shouldn't feel guilty for taking care of yourself. You could be driven by, oh, well, you know, I, I want to go on this vacation, but I feel guilty because I have A, B, C, D to do. So I think that's the hardest part is to not actually feel guilty about it. Because mm -hmm. if you actually think about it and sit down and maybe write it out and actually meditate on it and think about it, by you not taking care of yourself and thinking about yourself first, you're actually doing more harm in the long run to the people around you so than you would actually actually that's a, think that's a huge insight and it's something we have to believe and when we believe it then we act on it mm. and then ultimately when our primary focus in business has components that helps others then the more we take care of ourselves the better we'll do at whatever we're doing to make money and if that thing that makes money helps others like this podcast like buying apartments with investors and sharing in the profits there are a whole ripple effect of benefits there then we're able to do more good and a lot of people get caught up with my goal of having a billion dollars worth of apartment communities by my 40th birthday, which is five years and a month from now. But the reality is that I'm a minimalist. I've mentioned this before. I drive a 2012 Toyota Corolla. When we buy something, we give something away when Colleen and I do that. So I, I don't care about stuff. It's about the ride along the way that is the ripple effect of a billion dollars worth of apartment communities and all the different areas and levels that that benefits and it's just enjoyable as mm -hmm. well so cool awesome so i'll put a link to this blog post and as well as the podcast if you want some more information on this
We've also got a couple of listener questions that we'll quickly go over. These will be pretty quick answers. They're all from the same person. It's Kev. And he mentioned that he just read one of our syndication articles and he had a question. If I am the one doing the apartment deal and managing the property managers, etc., and then he's a friend that wants to bring the money for the syndication, how would you structure a partnership like that? He has no knowledge of running apartments and is busy but can bring the money. I'm doing the rest. So I mentioned a video, you've done videos on this in the past. Mm -hmm. um, I think you actually pointed him to those videos and he had a follow-up question. Do we just go straight to his follow-up question since we've answered this before? Well, I, since you've asked the question, we got to address right. it now. <laughs> so he has the experience, his buddy has the money, and that's all the money that will be required to purchase, or they will bring in investor money. It's actually not. So I'm going to read the rest of the question. Okay. It'll add more context to this. If I have someone bring the investor to me, what kind of reimbursement or percentage would you give them? Zero, because it's against SEC unless they are a broker-dealer. So you can't compensate people for bringing you investors unless they're a broker-dealer and you're in violation of SEC regulations. Okay. I guess this buddy has money himself but is also connected to other investors who have money that they bring onto the deals. So I guess that's the entire picture. Okay, so... Person A, who's writing, has all the experience, has a deal. Person B, who person A knows, has money, plus has some people he knows that could partner up. Mm -hmm. How does person A structure it with person B? Yep. Okay. Then, ultimately, you structure it based on whatever makes the most sense for both parties. I mean, there's so much flexibility with this. You can do whatever you want. It also depends on the track record of person A. If the mm -hmm. track record of person A has done many of these deals before of this size, then they bring more value. But if they just know real estate, but there's a big question mark on if they can deliver on the size of project they're looking mm -hmm. at, then they're not as valuable. The other variable is person A signing on the loan. And is it a personal guarantee or is it a non-recourse? So recourse or non-recourse. Because if it's a recourse loan and person A has to sign, then they're more valuable. If it's non-recourse, then they're not more valuable even if they do have to mm -hmm. sign. So there are variables involved. And I can't answer it directly because of those variables. So I just have to go off of assumptions. So let's just make an assumption and we'll go with that. The assumption is that it is a non-recourse loan, so person A does not need to sign on it, and the assumption is that person A has experience doing this level of investment. Therefore, they are more valuable, but they don't have to sign on a, mm -hmm. a recourse loan. Then you could do a 50, I don't try 50-50, where you bring all the experience. Your business partner who's on the general partnership with you will bring some of their own money, plus they'll identify people they know within their network and they'll invest passively. If you do a 50-50 partnership, then that would be fine. And then a start there. I suspect person A will be more inclined to do the partnership than person B because person A doesn't have the money. Therefore, person A might need to go down to 40% ownership and 60% to person B. It just depends on how you negotiate that. Okay. And as long as he's actually partnering up with person B, that it's not against the SEC rules? As long as person B is on the general partnership and okay. actively involved in the management, yes. And of course, go consult your SEC's attorney 
for securities attorney for this stuff, but that's the general principle. All right, I think we answered that question adequately. So that's all the questions we have for Wait. today. All right. Well, best ever listeners, enjoyed it. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Are you ready to grow and protect your wealth in any market? Join Cashflow Tactics to learn the exact strategies real estate investors can use to maximize returns using whole life insurance as a new banking resource. Visit cashflowtactics.com. That's C-A-S-H-F-L-O-W-T-A-C-T-I-S.com.